Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum for exploring government and related issues in depth to increase your civic literacy and with that, your ability to be an effective participant in local democracy. I'm your host, Mari Roden. The story you will hear about today, which is at a particularly intense chapter as we speak, is both extraordinary and extraordinarily important. It's the story of a small hydroelectric power plant constructed in Potter Valley in 1908 to generate electricity for the burgeoning frontier town of Ukiah and how the Eel River water that feeds this hydroelectric plant, sort of incidentally to the power generation, altered the social and economic future of Potter Valley, the Ukiah Valley, Santa Rosa, and even Marin County. Now, the current operator of the hydro plant, PG&E, is throwing in the towel on continuing to operate it and keep it licensed by the feds. With PG&E's relinquishment of the power plant, however, comes a big uncertainty about the continued diversion of water from the Eel into Potter Valley, Lake Mendocino, and the Lower Russian River. The absence of this water, particularly in tandem with drought, threatens the water supply for about one-third of our county's population. That is, everyone living in Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, and the Ukiah Valley outside the Ukiah city limits. My guest today to explain the details of this story is Janet Pauley. Besides being a rancher and vintner, Janet has a doctorate in zoology, so she understands the complexities of this situation from a biological and environmental point of view as well. Janet is also the chair of the Mendocino County Inland Water and Power Commission, a group of water rights holders in the valley. Good morning, Janet. Good morning, Mari. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'd like to start with um, asking you, um, first of all, to complete any introduction about yourself. And, um, and then I want you to just start to paint a picture of what the Potter Valley Project is. I'd be happy to. First of all, um, I, as Mari mentioned, I chair the Mendocino County Inland Water and Power Commission. That's a joint powers authority that was formed back in 1996 to actually protect, the original purpose was to protect the Potter Valley Project, and our member agencies are uh, the County of Mendocino Water Agency, the City of Ukiah, Potter Valley Irrigation District, Redwood Valley County Water District, and the Russian River Flood Control and Water Conservation Improvement District. Um, our commissioners are elected officials from those boards. So, as you can see, we have a, a true vested interest in the continuation of this diversion and I'll talk about a little bit about that later but I'd like to actually divide this into three parts one more of the history of the project itself uh, a little bit more about who is actually dependent on it and where we are today in the process of this licensing of what is our more, most critical water supply source for inland Mendocino County so let me start with the history. Um, and it's nice to have a little bit of time to, to describe it to you because it's quite an interesting story, actually. Yeah, we, uh, I think there were a lot 
a lot of things that happened at at this time in our country um, that often we forget about what it took to get things accomplished. But Mari, if that's okay with you, I'd like to do a little bit of a description of the history. Yes, I, I want you to take your time explaining, and I want you to the best of your ability to paint a picture. Um, you know, describe, I, I've seen the tunnel, and it's, it's literally a redwood line tunnel, and, and those sorts of details so people can get a picture in their minds of this piece of infrastructure and what it's like. Okay, well, it's it's complicated, not just the infrastructure, but the all of the regulatory parts of it, and we'll get into that as as the as our time goes on. But let me begin at the beginning. Uh, in 1905, a gentleman by the name of W. W. Van Arsdale <clears throat> from San Francisco, who's an engineer, was brought into the area to look at um, the problem that the city of Ukiah had. And the city of Ukiah uh, and the surrounding areas needed a more reliable source of electrical power to replace a very small coal-burning plant that they had in, as Mari described it, the pioneer town of, of Ukiah. Mr. Van Arsdale envisioned an electrical power plant that could be built at the north end of Potter Valley, powered by water that could be diverted from the Eel River. Um, an interesting concept, if you don't understand the difference in height between the Eel River and the Russian River in Potter Valley, is about 475 vertical feet. So he knew that if he could get that water from the Eel into the Russian through a powerhouse with that uh, height difference, he could actually generate a relatively significant amount of power for those days. Um, so understanding that physics sort of lesson and his knowledge of construction and having some financial backing was all he really needed and, and what he, he actually managed to acquire. And so the beginning of this was the formation of the Eel River Power and Irrigation Company. Janet, and what they began doing... Can yeah. I ask you a question here? Sure. Did, was Van Arsdale only thinking about about uh, powering the uh, uh, an electrical generation for Ukiah was there or was there any thought given to the implications of diverting the water from the eel and and what the water would do to the valley well as you'll find out the water supply uh, originally was only going to be able to be diverted in the winter time so in terms of benefit of water supply to the community, it wasn't by far the, the primary purpose. The primary purpose was hydropower production, and obviously that changed with time. But the first part of, of this project that had to be accomplished was there needed to be a way to get this water from the Eel River into Potter Valley. And because of the height elevation difference, it made it a little bit easier, but they still had to begin by building uh, a, a dam project on the Eel River that would back water up so that there would be what's called a forebay for water to be diverted through a tunnel and into Potter Valley and then into, the into a powerhouse. So the first pro part of the project was to construct Cape Horn Dam and uh, not being egotistical at all 
um, the little reservoir that it backed up was named Van Arsdale Reservoir. Um, and that was completed early on in the process. Uh, and at that point in time, it was capable of diverting just off grade um, about 300 cubic feet per second from the Eel River into Potter Valley. Uh, as Mari mentioned, there is, there is still a redwood timber lined tunnel about a mile long that goes from the Eel River side into Potter Valley. It exits the hills in the north end of Potter Valley about 450 feet above the valley floor. The water is then conveyed through an above ground uh, wooden conduit. Janet, and into the pen, pen stocks and then into the powerhouse. Yes. Janet, how, what's the diameter of this tunnel? So just to create the picture for listeners. It's about eight feet. It's about eight feet in diameter. And interestingly, and I've walked through it, I had the wonderful chance to walk through it many, many years ago. It's more square in in uh, surface area than round, as you might think. But to line it with redwood timbers, obviously being square was helpful. Uh, those timbers, a lot of those original timbers are still there. Every once in a while, one will break apart and cause now PG&E some headaches when it gets stuck in the penstock, et cetera. But uh, overall, those Redwood timbers in the dark and being kept damp have managed to stay in place for a very, very long time. So they are still there. The above ground conduit outside of where the tunnel exit has been recently replaced. About three years ago, PGE finally replaced that wooden conduit with another round wooden conduit, interestingly. Um, and and again, so that there's one section of it, section of it that's still the original part, mm -hmm. and uh, causes some problems with a little bit of leakage. But otherwise, the main part of this project is in place. There have been modifications over the years, of course. Um, so they continued on this project, building uh, the tunnel and the powerhouse. And as it continued, um, they actually required more capital. And in doing so, uh, Van Arsdale managed to gain some support from financiers out of San Francisco. They reorganized the uh, company as Snow Mountain Water and Power in 1906. And for a short period of time, uh, in 1906, all of the work on the project stopped because all of the crews that were involved uh, with the uh, construction were all moved to San Francisco to help rebuild the city after the April 1st uh, quake. Uh, so it wasn't until actually 1908 that uh, the Potter Valley project began to produce power. Um, it was immediately a, a wonderful um, exercise in how to improve electrical power sourcing for a small community. There was only one downfall. Uh, the powerhouse only ran at capacity uh, after late fall rains 
and into spring because the Eel River, like almost all of our North Coast rivers, naturally gets drier and drier as the late spring rains end and, and summer begins. So there was not enough water in the river to run the powerhouse during the summer and the early fall. So by 1908, actually, after studying the flows on the main stem eel, there was a plan that was uh, designed to look at a way to store winter water and snowmelt further upriver from Van Arsdale <clears throat> in an area of what's Lake County called Gravelly Valley. That's about 12 miles upriver from Van Arsdale. <clears throat> and so the, the beginnings of the idea of building what's now called Scott Dam, which forms Lake Pillsbury, uh, began to form. And they actually tried to build a dam up near Gravelly Valley, uh, and that was abandoned because of the, the, bed, the bed of the river simply wasn't stable enough to do that. Uh, but they did finally come to a place where Scott Dam currently exists and Snow Mountain Water and Power <clears throat> uh, began the application process for a power permit uh, <clears throat> in 1918. Sorry. By 1920, by... Um, so, um, Mari, um, sorry about that. <clears throat> I had an interruption. But I wanted to tell you that um, that power permit that was originally... Uh, gathered in 1920 was from the before the federal power uh, regular energy regulatory commission was formed. Um, so by 1922, Scott Dam was built and completed. The difference here was that now all of a sudden the um, water supply in the Upper Main Eel was there all summer. So. Power could now be um, produced year-round, and this was a boon. It it changed the entire it changed the entire um, face of this region. Uh, the suddenly water coming through that project in the summertime, when it never had been there before, the value of that was first recognized by Potter Valley uh, Irrigation District before the irrigation district was formed, everything in Potter Valley was dry farm. There, there were no other sources of water in the summer. So, for example, the community of Potter Valley was mainly uh, small truck farms. There were a few dairies. Uh, they, could, they could graze cattle a little bit. They could produce one cutting of hay um, etc. It, it was um, a very difficult way to, to, to make a living, literally, all Russian River, all the way down to the ocean. In those days, uh, irrigation was, was just non-existent in the summertime. So while the power 
produced was remarkably positive for the city of Ukiah. The real benefit was having the irrigation water. And with that water supply, not only the agricultural economy uh, grew, but also uh, people's quality of life improved in general with this water supply. So uh, that's basically the history of the building of the project. I will tell you that one of the most important things that happened during that period of time was that when the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission came into being, they granted a 50-year license to produce hydropower at that plant. That license expired in 1972. Prior to the license ex expiration, quite a bit prior to that in the 1930s, Snow Mountain Water and Power sold to PG&E. So PG&E has been the um, owner, operator, and license holder since 1930. And when they acquired the license, they also acquired all of the regulatory uh, requirements that went along with owning a hydropower plant. And I'll just mention that while the license allows them to produce power, it never actually requires them to produce power. So an interesting point that'll come up a little bit later as we go through this conversation. Um, let me just quickly mention the watershed that was cut off when Scott Dam was built because it becomes a very critical fact with regards to how the project has been operated uh, and will be operated in the future. When Scott Dam was built, it was not equipped with a fish ladder. Let's uh, so remind let's remind people that Scott's Dam is the dam that creates Lake Pillsbury. Yes, in Lake yeah, County. It, mm -hmm. In Lake County, it pre yes, it it, it produces it backs up the water that forms Lake Pillsbury, and then, and again that started in 1922, so a long time ago, hundred years ago. But when Scott Dam was built, it basically blocked 289 square miles of the watershed to uh, access by anadromous fish. So we're talking about um, salmon, Chinook salmon, steelhead, also blocked access for lamprey. That's about 7.3% of the Eel River's total 3,971 square miles. So it's not a large part of the watershed. It's in the very, very, very uh, upper reaches of the Eel River watershed. Of course, as most of the listeners understand, there are several major tributaries of the uh, Eel River, the Middle Fork, the North Fork, the Van Dusen, the South Fork, and multiple, multiple smaller watersheds. So the upper, upper main eel is the most southern and most eastern section of the Eel River. The region above Scott Dam is the driest, um, hottest section of the entire watershed. And if you look at a map, it, it's hard to understand because it doesn't seem right, but the Eel River basically runs from south to north. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you want to have a good exercise in looking at the 
the geography of the Eel River, get a map and have a look at where the mouth of the river is up in Fortuna and where all the various branches flow. Yeah. Hey, Janet, uh, um, let me just in- interrupt you just for one moment. Um, in case listeners have just tuned in to this show, this is Citizen You, a forum for exploring government and related issues. And the guest today, my guest is Janet Polly, and she's discussing the Potter Valley Project and its importance, um, its critical relevance to the economy of the of Mendocino County, of Ukiah Valley, Sonoma County, Marin County, and the precariousness of continued uh, water from that source. So Janet's just uh, finished talking about the history, and we're moving on to the current situation. Yes. I'm going to talk just for a second about who's dependent on the project, and then we can go a little bit more into um, some of the history, except that I would like to mention that that original 50-year license, which expires in April 2022, this next year, um, is the reason that we're having these conversations today. And when when the first 50-year license expired in 1972, it actually took 34 years to have that license um, um, all the way through the amendment process completed. So, and the reason it took that long was because of a discussion of of flows for fish habitat being uh, the top of the concerns, and they still are today. And that's part of the reason we're having the discussions that we're having. So, for the communities that are dependent on the Potter Valley Project. Mari mentioned briefly that they include Potter Valley itself. But south of Potter Valley, when the water goes through that valley and is stored in Lake Mendocino, it becomes the basic and most important water supply for many other communities, including uh, Redwood Valley County Water District, who diverts water directly out of Lake Mendocino, uh, the city of Ukiah, the communities of Calpella, uh, and down down the river um, for Hopland uh, into Sonoma County, Cloverdale, Geyserville, section of Healdsburg, all of the agricultural um, regions of the Ukiah Valley and Alexander Valley in Sonoma County. So a very broad region of folks that are dependent on the water supply. Um, so what has happened since the project was relicensed in 1972? A whole series of um, regulatory changes were made in terms of how the flows in the Eel and the Russian River have to be maintained for fisheries. Um, we ended up having, um, after a biological opinion discussion that took several years and a reasonable and prudent alternative by National Marine Fisheries Service, actually a reduction in about 50% of the water that had been diverted through the project. And that had already impacted storage in Lake Mendocino uh, after about 2006. So I have a question about about the regulation of the water through the tunnel from the eel, uh, through the, from the eel, through the tunnel and then into Potter Valley to operate the hydroelectric plant, how that's regulated. And then the 
the regulation of the power plant. And they're, they're distinct, right? Because the power plant is regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC. But the water um, and the care of the fish and the watershed of the eel has a different regulatory agency. No? So, well, I'm, I'm wondering about which which one takes precedence and and how that happens and if the if the power plant is um say not operating or decommissioned then is water still uh able to flow through the tunnel and who would regulate that so i'm curious about different regulatory agencies if i'm skipping well, that, ahead too far we can we can no, wait no that's answer. okay that mm -hmm. that's actually part of the major discussions that are underway right now so let me back up just a little bit all of the flows uh, on the Eel River with regards to the Potter Valley Project are regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and based on, as I mentioned, a biological opinion that was via a Section 7 consultation, just getting a little bit into the details. But that was required by the National Marine Fisheries Service and a whole different process that's uh, under the Endangered Species Act. So when flows were changed, flow requirements were changed on the Eel River and into the Russian River, those became part of the FERC license. So the project licensee has to comply with those until there becomes a change in the project itself. Also added on top of those regulations that are required under the FERC license, uh, our water rights. PG&E has several water rights. Uh, one that was the first one was pre-1914. It was a 1905 water right um, that was acquired by Mr. Van Arsdale early on, um, where he actually, in the old days, people would write the water right that they wanted to have on a piece of paper and usually stick it on a tree or <laughs> put it somewhere near where the diversion point was, and then it was codified by the state uh, that not called then the State Water Resources Control Board. The same process is pretty much underway today. It's a, a little bit more difficult than it was back then. But PG&E also has water rights for the water that's stored in Lake Pillsbury. So those come into play pretty significantly as we move forward in this process and have been under discussion now for some period of time. Um, when the new license, the new tier license, uh, came close to uh, a deadline for relicensing again, which is next April, PNE was required to begin the licensing process, the relicensing process, five years ahead of that. So in 2017, PG&E did begin to relicense the project. It's a very complicated, a very bureaucratic process with deadlines that have to be met on a FERC schedule. PG&E began uh, working on study plans that are required regarding how a new project would impact the Eel River and potentially the Rush River. Um, those studies would have cost about anywhere between 11 and $15 million. They include not just looking at the impacts of changes in the project to the fisheries in both rivers, but also to people um, and socioeconomic impacts. But uh, in, nine, in 2018, PG&E decided that they were no longer interested in owning and running the project. 
So they began what was called an auction project pro, uh, process. And inland Mendocino County Inland Water and Power Commission was the only entity that stepped up and said to PG&E, we're interested in moving into that process with you. Uh, and we did. And would, but, can and, I ask you, when, yeah. when Inland Water and Power Commission uh, stepped in to, to say they wanted to operate it, it was really about having the water, not not the power. Is that true? And and if so, were you, was the commission um, go, wanting to operate the the hydroelectric plant, or would it just been you know used as an um, a reason to have the water? Well, when we first started the process, we we were convinced that producing power was obviously a benefit. We also were not sure about the costs involved with operation of the project. I mean, there's a reason that Pacific Gas and Electric decided not to continue to operate this project. And it was it's all based around costs. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But um, we were unaware at the time of what those costs uh, might be and, and exactly why PG&E was not going to continue. But in January of 2019, PG&E took another step in this process and decided that they were going to pivot away from auctioning the process. And actually, they gave um, FERC notice that they were withdrawing their licensing request. In other words, they withdrew their notice of intent to relicense the project. At that point in time, the future of the project including hydropower production, was jeopardized, seriously jeopardized. And in response, Inland Water and Power Commission that had been involved in potentially purchasing the project now had to change attacked, and we began to work with other stakeholders to look at moving into and taking the place of PG&E as a project licensee. So during this period of time between January and June of 2019, we started to have conversations with Sonoma Water, with Caltrout. Both of them joined us as NOI parties with uh, I, NOI. this process. Notice of intent. Mm -hmm. And I, I would prefer, uh, that's what they're sort of formally called, but it, it's a partnership, a two we call it a two-basin partnership. So Caltrout, Sonoma Water, Humboldt County, uh, and then the, finally the Round Valley tribes all came to the table. We formed um, a five-party partnership, uh, prepared a new notice of intent for FERC, and moved into what's called an orphan project process to license the project. Um, very difficult process in terms of, again, meeting FERC deadlines, finding funding for all of the studies that were still going to be required to be done, trying to determine what a new project plan would look like. Early on in this process, um, Congressman Jared Huffman had come to the table and uh, wanted to facilitate the discussion between 
the Eel River and water and, and Russian River water interests and understanding that it was could be probably was going to be controversial. And um, an ad hoc, a couple of ad hoc committees were formed to look at two very important issues, which we call co-equal goals in this effort to relicense the project. One was uh, fishery habitat restoration on the Eel River, extremely important and of interest to the partners. The other one was to ensure water supply reliability. And those two equal goals have been at the basis of what the work we've been doing all of this time in this process. Um, with the two ad hoc committees that were dedicated to looking at more details regarding those two particular issues, we found that one of the major concerns on the Eel River side was finding a way to get fish passage above Scott Dam. Um, as you all are aware, there are many, many projects in Western states and around the world where fish passage uh, has been designed and engineered for dams. And so the initial work that was done by the ad hoc was to look at all different kinds of potential passage projects. Um, Again, looking uh, to continue water supply reliability, we had to concern, concern ourselves with how water supply reliability could be maintained during this process as well, and whether or not hydropower was going to be part of that process moving forward. Remembering that in the last relicensing, we lost 50% of the diversion through the project. So obviously we were already impacted by license constraints during the last relicensing. So um, what has happened in recent time, in recent months is we have as a partnership found it extremely difficult to gather funding to do the studies that are required to, to get to a place where we completely understand how any changes in the Potter Valley project would impact water supply reliability and or improve fishery uh, conditions on the Eel and on the Russian River. One of the final project plan considerations was, and this was spurred by fishery agencies who have conditioning authority on the license, the idea that fish passage was going to be required was um, well understood, but as some of the work was done, it became clear that most of the fish passage projects that we've seen in Western states simply would not function here in this part of the Eel River. Why would that not be? To say that mainly because of the conditions of the of the environment mm -hmm. up there, the height of the dam, et cetera, et cetera. It's not to say it's impossible, mm -hmm. but the efficacy of doing it and allowing the fish to volitionally, in other words, under their own power, get over that dam, get up into the watershed, spawn, and the juvenile fish to get out of that reservoir became problematic. And um, we learned quite a bit about how that might work. Finally, it was decided that the best way to get fish above Scott Dam was to remove Scott Dam. Seems very simple. It, it isn't simple at all because there are a lot of considerations that needed to be 
decided prior to a commitment to remove Scott Dam. And so a commitment to remove Scott Dam has not been made pending research that needs to be completed to understand what the impacts would be. One of the major impacts, obviously, besides the impact to Lake County of the removal of Scott Dam and therefore the elimination of Lake Pillsbury, which is extremely important to their economy, um, is the impact of the sediment that's behind that dam. There's 22 million cubic yards of sediment that's accumulated behind Scott Dam since it was built in 1922. And where does it go? What What do we do with it? I mean, we have some very, very basic questions. We don't even know if the diversion from the Eel River into the Russian River could be maintained if all of that sediment's moving downriver and for what period of time and at what volumes. So while the best scenario for fish would be to remove Scott Dam, obviously there are some serious questions that need to be answered before we can understand what the impact to people would be by removing Scott Dam. It seems like there would be impact to fish as well if if sediment starts flowing down the river also. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are other dams that have been removed in, around the western states. One that comes to mind immediately is the Elwha Dam. The Elwha Dam was ha- held back, there are two dams, held back about the same amount of sediment, but was only five miles from the ocean. And it took five years for the sediment to move from those dams to the uh, estuary. And Scott Dam is 170 miles upriver from the estuary in Fortuna. So if that math were to hold for uh, moving, you know, five miles in five years, if that's the same case and we don't know it, uh, we're talking about a very, very, very long time that this mass of sediment would be moving downriver. So again, studies need to be done. And our biggest block and hurdle has been gathering funding. Mendocino County Inland Water and Power Commission in the last several years has funded nearly a hundred one sorry 1.5 million dollars worth of of expenses in this process. Sonoma County, if you take their staff time, has uh, spent many times that amount. All the other partners have spent their shared amounts of the cost to uh, hire consulting companies and answer some of these questions, but we're a long way from having the final answers. And what what are the deadlines that you're facing? Well, this is part of the problem. All along, we've been facing FERC deadlines in the orphan project process. Uh, We were supposed to have had uh, a deadline for a final license application completed by now. We did ask for for an extension. They've given us an extension now till April of next year on the date that the license expires. But because we have not been able to acquire funding, the needed funding, we are unable to meet that deadline with FERC. And we told them this in our last filing. We have to give them another update of progress at the end of January. Right now, we have uh, opportunity, we believe, for some 
a couple of grant funding applications that may help us with which will contribute several millions of dollars but they're not finalized yet um, by the end of january again we'll be filing with FERC our progress and we'll see what their reaction is but it, if they hold to requiring a final license ap application in april of 2022 and they're already aware we can't meet that deadline then one of FERC's options that they stated in their letter is that they may ask PG&E to begin a license surrender process. License surrender, um, to me, I describe it as a, a black box. What happens is that the negotiations regarding the future of the project will be strictly between PG&E and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and FERC. All of our work as, as partners in this licensing process, this orphan project process, will cease. Um, we may have options to work with Pacific Gas and Electric regarding what the project will look like moving into the future, but we will all become interveners in this surrender process without the kind of voice that we currently have uh, in negotiating the future outcome. So it's a difficult place we're in right now. We honestly don't know what FERC's decision will be. We're hopeful that they may give us more time if we acquire some funding. Um, your question about whether or not the hydropower part of the project remains is is still in the uh, up in the air we we honestly don't know how that's going to work moving forward it appears that um it won't be under a license surrender process there will be no hydropower anymore production anymore and it becomes a water supply only project well that's my question if if hydro power is no longer generated and the power plant shuts down what are the chances of of continuing the flow through the tunnel and and where would permission f for that um, flow to continue come from is that a, is that attack you're you're pursuing it it will be a it is attack we're pursuing if you consider that with the removal of scott dam there will be no more water flowing through that project at all in the summertime obviously some major changes have to be made. One would be to negotiate with Pacific Gas and Electric acquiring the diversion works. Uh, so we would need to have some kind of a structure on the Eel River to form the four bays so that water could be diverted when, when allowed through the project into where, where the powerhouse currently is. And at that point in time to be diverted for storage in Lake Mendocino and potentially other storage sites. The water would only be coming through the project in the wintertime. That's called run of the river. And that's how this whole project began back in the 19, in 1905 with run of the river. And that's the reason obviously that Scott Dam was built back in 1922 so that stored water could be released through the project all all year round. So if that happened, so we, Janet, we would be going back to that situation. Yeah. And if that happened, 
what what's being considered to uh, continue year-round water for Potter Valley. Um, would would Potter Valley develop some kind of storage for its own um, enterprises there, the ranches and and vineyards there, um, or what 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 what's been what's the thinking about? continuing the year-round supply of water in Potter Valley, which has become dependent over the last 120 years on this water? Well, Potter Valley obviously is in a unique position because we get the water first as it comes through the project, and we've developed an irrigation system, etc. And our storage facility is Lake Pillsbury. Without Lake Pillsbury, you're right, there has to be a way to either store some of this diverted water in the wintertime in a new storage structure. It would look like one or two large dams at the north end of the valley. We've done some preliminary engineering on that. <clears throat> like most, most projects today, in today's world, those are very expensive projects. Not impossible projects, the engineering is possible. And we're working along those lines one other possible scenario would be to pump water back from Lake Mendocino, also very expensive, um, also not rocket science. It could be done. But remembering that Potter Valley, it, while we're, we're very dependent on this project and the diversion, everybody that, has, um, that takes water out of Lake Mendocino is also vulnerable. Um, so uh just want to, to explain that there are several potential infrastructure projects that need to be looked at if the project is going to go in the direction of the removal of Scott Dam. Acquiring the diversion water works is critically important. Finding new storage and raising potentially raising Coyote Valley Dam also to improve storage there is is important. Who yeah. owns the infrastructure and waterworks now? Is that part of is PG&E own it and it would PG&E owns it. Mm -hmm. It would it would be transferred to a new owner, uh, either a regional entity, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Something that we're we're also working on at this point in time. But very very quickly, and I'd like to open this up for questions if we can. Um, there's a, a new problem uh, with the project, and that is that there has been a very serious equipment failure at the powerhouse during the summertime. The transformer bank went out. PG&E is facing between five and ten million dollars worth of repair. They're only releasing about 45 cubic feet per second through the project now. They can't put full flows through the turbines, um, and so we're we're requesting PG&E release some more discretionary flows right now so that we can put more water into Lake Mendocino, which is at the lowest level right now it's ever been at this time of the year since it was built in the 1950s. So to add another problem onto the licensing concerns and uh, importance, it, uh, this seems to have, um, it seems to be something else that now we need to do to deal with. But, um, at risk right now with these reduced flows from the project and moving into the future if flows are dramatically diminished from this project is health and human safety and also the well-being of listed species of fish that are listed under the endangered species act in the russian river as well so it's not simply a potter valley project 
it's an entire Russian River watershed problem that we need to address and need to move forward to find a solution to. Um, in, in regard to the fish well-being and survival in the Russian River, I understand that before we had year-round water flowing through the Russian, that it would dry up in the summertime, like most rivers in this area would dry up in the summertime. So fish were adapted to that those conditions. Um, so if if we had those conditions again, why why is fish survival an issue without without year round water? Fish fish populations have been impacted in our river systems by many other things, um, it, many other human caused issues. The population of all the salmonid species have diminished dramatically, whether that's from logging, uh, land use practices, uh, water supply, water diversion, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not simply one thing. It's hard to take a man-made system like the Potter Valley Project and the way that the Russian River water supply is managed today and ignore impact of people mm -hmm. and so what we've done is we've tried to manage these systems by storing water releasing it when necessary and there are requirements for these releases on almost all of our water systems <clears throat> to protect fishery flows natural fishery flows mm -hmm. um, you can you can see what happened last year with the drought when the state water board came in and actually curtailed all water rights the water supply in the Russian River was diminished to a point where even minimal in-stream flows for fisheries were difficult to maintain. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a big problem. And now with climate change, we honestly don't know what we're going to be facing with regards to rainfall. I mean, it's likely that we're not going to have rainfall like we did in the 80s and the 90s. It's either going to come all at once or not at all. And the only way we can prepare for it is with improved storage and improved um, management of the supply. Right. So what are the implications uh, of, let's say that the water is like, like it is currently severely curtailed coming through the eel because of drought and, and maybe because the plant is decommissioned in Potter Valley, uh, the situation in uh, Lake Mendocino is dire. There's virtually a puddle there. And so I just would like you to say one more, to describe one more time like you did at the beginning of the show about what, what populations are dependent on that water and uh, what are the implications of a lack of water in Lake Mendocino? So the communities that will be immediately impacted by the reduced flows are Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, Calpella, City of Ukiah, the Ukiah Valley in general, all agriculture, City of Hopland, Cloverdale, Geyserville, 77% uh, of the City of Hillsburg, and all of the Alexander Valley grape growing region. All of these areas are dependent on this water supply. And, you know, many people are still, even with everything that we've tried to say over the years, unaware of the situation. 
um, it's a problem that needs to be more fully addressed, and that's why having the opportunity to talk to you is is very helpful. The reality is that our, our local water supply has never been so jeopardized. Yeah. Between the drought and these regulatory restrictions and the licensing, we're in a very difficult place, and we're going to have to understand as a community that there needs to be changes in the way this water supply is managed and people's willingness to be involved with protecting it. And unfortunately, that's going to mean paying more for it so we can build the infrastructure we need to have to become more sustainable in terms of our ability to utilize this water. Janet, why do you think it's been difficult to get the public to care about this issue? Simple. When you turn on the tap, the water comes out. (laughs) And until people are really impacted in their homes or in their businesses, it's human nature. You know, you you don't walk around worrying about what might happen all the time or we'd all go crazy. Um... We worry about things that face us immediately. And our water supply, we've been amazingly lucky in the last 100 years to have this water supply. And we've built communities. We have a a fabulous quality of life. uh, And it's all underpinned by water supply. Um, And we have other issues we deal with all the time. We deal with roads and we deal with health and we deal with COVID and we deal with school concerns and a myriad of others. Water is not the main concern until it's not there. And what we need people to understand is it might not be there. And we need to be concerned now. And we should have, you know, I've been working and a lot of people I know have been working on education for quite a few years now. Um, But it is difficult to get to everybody until they can really see that there's a potential problem. And so much depends on it. I mean, our entire economy of inland Mendocino County and uh, depends on it and and really the well-being of the entire county because the city of Ukiah is the county seat and its economy uh, affects the entire Mendocino County. Well, and if you look really, a, a really good example is taking water from Ukiah, the city of Ukiah, and trucking it over to Fort Bragg during the peak of the drought this past summer, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do that mm-hmm. without the Potter Valley Project right. water supplies. Right. So you're right. It's economics. It's quality of life. It's, it's our basic need for a secure water supply. Right. Well, we're having to wind up. We just have a few minutes left. Um, Janet Polly, thank you so much for being my guest today um, and sharing your expertise with listeners in Mendocino County about this critical issue. Are there any last um, words that you would like to to tell people? Um, well, I'd, I'd like to say that there there are some places you can go to find more information. Uh, there are a couple of websites. Um, Mendocino County Inland Water and Power has a website at mendoiwpc.com. We'll give you some basic information. Um, I look forward to having anyone contact me uh, as chair of the Mendocino County Inland Water and Power Commission. You can also go to your individual water boards, whether that's um, Mendocino County or the city of Ukiah, again, Potter Valley Irrigation District.
District, Redwood Valley Water District, or the Russian River Flood Control. All of their boards are well-versed in these concerns and would be happy to answer your questions. All of their board meetings are open to the public. Uh, if you have questions, go to those meetings, ask questions, be engaged. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Citizen U. This is an effort begun in the early 2000s by my former colleague on the Ukiah City Council, Marianne Landis. And she pioneered the concept of Citizen U as a series of in-person forums that educated hundreds of people on topics such as housing, economic development, and homelessness. And I'm proud to continue the tradition brought to you through the airwaves and Wi-Fi into your home, office, and car to inform you and make you more effective citizens. I hope you enjoyed the show. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.